and left yourself in Make good on a promise Never heard again If you lost and loaded You're broken down Bring all of your trouble Come down, down Hey guys, and welcome to Kaisis a podcast about living our new life in the New Covenant Age. Our podcast name comes from two Greek words, kaine kitesis, which mean new creation. I'm your co-host, Osvaldo Valdez, and let me welcome Pastor Todd Bordeaux. Well, welcome back, everyone, to Kaisis. Thank you for joining us. We are working our way, Osvaldo and I, through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I, I meant to ask you last week because you you have an interesting story from your honeymoon. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit what happened to you and Megan on your honeymoon. So we, we were able to go to Tennessee, uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And we, we stayed in a cabin in the Smoky Mountains. And everything went really well for like two days until we both got like body body aches she you know got a something with her ear and also body aches we started getting cold symptoms i'm very sensitive to the cold in general pastor anything under 70 for me is cold so i was like it's just a cold nothing was getting better so we went and got tested and we ended up having covid pastor so we're talking about like three-fourths of our uh honeymoon was just spent indoors and just kind of quarantining and but the 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 one comforting thing I told myself is, well, I'd rather have COVID in the Smoky Mountains than in a janky apartment in Houston. So there's yeah. that. So your, no, your your COVID honeymoon. My COVID honeymoon. But we were able to at least sightsee the first two days before we knew we were sick and before the symptoms hit. So it, we enjoyed it at the end, and we 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 laugh about it now. But we made it back safely, thank God, and and <laughs> everything's back to normal. But yeah. Uh, I'm hoping to maybe one of the, well maybe in the future go back and hopefully in a COVID-free world where we can enjoy ourselves. No kidding. Yeah. All right, so let's look at we were going to go all the way to verse 17, but we're only going to get 13 to 16 today. A little bit of review. We we said that the Sermon on the Mount is sort of a the constitution of the new covenant. Now, obviously, it's not limited to the Sermon on the Mount, but it's the very first sermon explaining really the foundations of the new covenant that Christ came to bring. And Matthew sets it up by introducing this as a new exodus, as the new Moses ascends the mountain, leading his new Israel to a better promised land. And so right away, the Lord explains how one enters his final kingdom that will lead to the new heavens and earth. And one enters by grace alone, by admitting they're a sinner and coming to Christ. And then we talked about Christ moves from how one enters to the results, how one lives, his character, and he's like Christ. Mm. And we talked about the rewards of those who come to God for salvation. They're given a new heart. They're given peace. Uh, some of the promises are future only. They shall see God. But many of the promises are the blessings of being united to Christ now. And then we talked about last week that there will be two kingdoms simultaneously existing 
Uh, there'll be the kingdoms of this world, which will persecute the church, because Jesus then talks about blessed are those who persecute you. And, uh, or bless, I'm sorry, blessed are, the, blessed are you when you're persecuted, I should say. And so right away, he's showing them that the kingdom is not going to unfold the way they expected, which would be an end to all persecution. And so that brings us to our passage. And Osvaldo, I'm going to ask you to read it out loud, 13 through 16. Yes, it reads, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, this is the famous salt and light passage that you hear about so much. But the Lord is moving on to explain our relationship in the new covenant to the world. Now, when you hear this, remember the kingdom expectations of all the people sitting there listening. You had different views among the Jews as to what our relationship to the world should be. You had the zealots, and their view was that we should conquer the world. We should rule the world. Then you had the Essens, the community along the Dead Sea. Their view is we should separate ourselves from the world. The world is evil, and if we're going to live for the Lord, we must separate. But notice that Jesus doesn't approve any of these what what his view is what his teaching is is we are witnesses in the world he doesn't no. take us out of the world um, as jesus said um, i do not take them out of the world but as the father sent me i send them into the world and so the lord gives two metaphors of our relationship as the church to the world salt and light salt of the earth light of the world both of these metaphors are really making the same point because salt is necessary for the preservation of food and light is necessary to see. So the point is that they're both necessary. Mm -hmm. Now, what does the church have that is absolutely necessary for the world? Well, often the religious left and the religious right, they move to politics. And so they take that word salt and they notice that, well, salt preserves. So the purpose of the church then is to be a preservation of society. We go out there and we preserve or we improve culture like salt improves food. We improve politics. And both the left and the right, the religious left and re religious right, use this, uh, unfortunately, to shame you if you don't follow and accept their politics. Yeah. Hmm. So if you're not politically involved in the way they want you, well, then, then you're not salt. You're supposed to be salt and light, and you're not supporting whatever cause or speaking out against whatever politics you're supposed to. And so there's sort of a shame game using this verse. Yes. And then what they do is they expand the meaning of the gospel so that the redemption that Christ came to bring in this life is the redemption of all creation. So there's no more Pauline teaching that 
this creation is passing away and we should use it like that. There's no common grace really in this view. There's no distinction between the old creation and new creation, which is only in Christ. Everything becomes the expansion of the kingdom. And that's what the church should be often focused on besides evangelism is uh, political and social causes. Now, there's nothing wrong with being involved in social or political causes. There are many ways to be a good neighbor, mm -hmm. but that's not what Jesus means here. You'd, you'd have to imagine the disciples sitting there hearing this metaphor, you are salt and light, and thinking, oh, we need to go get involved in Roman politics to make it better. <laughs> no. Do you think they thought that? No, not remotely close. And it's interesting to see that these are not commands, go be salt and light. They're statements of fact. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. They're not doing anything. They're sitting there. No. So what would make them salt and like? Well, they're listening to the gospel of the kingdom. They've entered the kingdom by believing in the gospel. And so if you look at this phrase, light of the world, salt is pretty new here, not used really much in the Old Testament, but light of the world is. And so Isaiah 49, 6 says, the Lord said to me, I have a greater task for you, my servant. Not only will you restore to greatness the people of Israel who have survived, but I will also make you a light to the nations. And so here the Father is speaking to the Son. You will be a light to the nations. Of course, in John 7, Jesus stood up and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so after Jesus is called the light of the world, he says to his people, now you are the light of the world. Mm -hmm. And so by it's by your connection to Jesus, your unity with him, yeah. you having the gospel that he brought. He is the light because he brings the gospel, spiritual light, and now he has made you lights yeah. as you speak of the gospel and as you reflect his character. And so this has so often been profaned, in a sense, by bringing it down to whatever social or political agenda you have. And if any Christian doesn't hold to it or support it, you're not being salt. You've lost your saltiness. <laughs> have, have you seen this before? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Pastor, many times. And I think this is probably a perfect passage, a perfect example of what happens when you divorce, you know, biblical theology. Or when you completely dismiss, you know, the kingdom context that Jesus is here is introducing. When you when you do not take any of those things into account, I mean, this passage is just a moralist, works based gospel. I mean, uh, there's two there's two ways I've heard of it, and I'm gonna be honest with you, I've actually never heard it politically till I was much older, and I started, you know, kind of burning my kind of interacting with different uh, people. Growing up, this passage was always in relation to two things. One, your testimony uh, as a Christian, personal testimony, and two, evangelism. You know, uh, it, regarding testimony, I mean, it was kind of the basic stuff. You know, no drinking, no smoking, no dancing, no cussing. You know, that, that's how you were assault to, to, to the earth and a light to the world. Um, 
kind of just doing kind of the basic, uh, <laughs> the basic four. Um, but two, and this is probably one I've heard the most, is um, evangelism. And this is where it became very, very much like a works-based gospel. It's almost like my Christian existence, worth, and usefulness was closely tied to kind of how many, how many people I'm able to evangelize, um, how many people I invite to church, and kind of the recurring um, verse that came up besides the, you know, the Great Commission was this. You're called to be salt. You're called to be a light. Are you evangelizing at work? Who have you evangelized at work? Youth, you know, youth camps and youth conferences will use this passage and confront their audiences saying, who at school have you not evangelized? Who at work have you not? You know, it was always very like um, very hyper focused on evangelism where where I'm, I'm not dismissing that. Um, and I think that that's that's not. That's that's not what Jesus is not saying. I don't think he's he's completely dismissing an, the element of evangelism. But once again, when you divorce kind of the kingdom context, like you said, that Jesus is the light, and by His transforming Spirit, you are a light as well because you share in the light of Christ. You you share in His ministry. When you divorce that, then this simply becomes well. I'm only really a good Christian unless I do X, Y, and Z, unless I invite people to church, unless I evangelize. Isn't it interesting how both, whether political or using it for the fundamentalist view of you always have to be doing this or that, yeah. they're both used to shame. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I want to be careful, right? I'm, I'm not saying like, like they, they, they're doing it maliciously or anything, but, but I think like we introduced this series, when you divorce biblical theology or when you take away the, the kingdom context that Jesus is here is introducing, that's all you have. You don't, you don't have anything but works instead of the, you know, instead of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. The connection to Christ that you have his light in you. That's a given. That's why it's, it's an indicative and not an imperative. You are the light, not you better go out and be light. Yeah. So the way it's phrased, I'm sure they were probably sitting there thinking, what are you talking about? How are we light? Yeah. Because they know Jesus. No. Now, as you said, that will end up, you know, hopefully um, resulting in sharing your faith, etc. But the point is, is the connection to Christ makes you a light. He's shining through you. Mm -hmm. And as you speak of him as the Savior, you are presenting the light to the world. And so that brings us to that next passage. If salt has become tasteless, what good is it? It is, might as well be thrown down and be trampled. Or if someone lights a lamp, what good would it do to hide a lamp that no one is helped by the light if you hide it under a bowl? Now, Jesus is not teaching here that you can lose your salvation. He's not saying you can be salt, but then over time become tasteless. The point is, he's showing us that we're not saved only for ourselves, but to be a witness to the world. Yeah. He has not just saved us to unite us to him so we can enjoy him. That certainly is, is true. But there's more to it. He wants his church to be a light. The church will be a means by which others will come to know the light. And so he's saying, what good is it if it's only for you and you're not a light for others to come to Christ? Mm -hmm. So it's a very general statement to get us outward thinking as the purpose for salvation, one of the purposes. Now, there's two more points in this passage. One is the strange grammar. You must do justice 
to the grammar. In the Greek, the U is plural, but the light is singular. Yeah. And so we would expect you, plural, are lights in this world. Plural, plural. In that sense, he'd be saying each of you on your own is a light. And that's often the way this is taught, isn't it? Yep. But the singular shows us that together we become a light. The body of Christ as a whole makes up the light. As the church then preaches the gospel and as the church lives in Christ-like love and community, we become the light to the world. By this will all men know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And so the grammar shows us that he's not speaking in an individualist sense. While it is true, and we'll see in a moment, individually you are light, but only also as you are together as a church. Yeah. And so you cannot separate yourself from the rest of the church. You cannot separate yourself from the entire body of Christ and then claim to be the light. Mm -hmm. Because the light here is one light together. You, plural, become the light. And as much as you've studied the early church, what did they see in the church that was the witness of the light? Oh, Pastor, many things. And I, I'm only going to mention seven and then recommend a really good book that I've been repeating uh, throughout kind of our, our podcast. But the first one is this, that Christian masters, Christian slave owners treating slaves like family. Um, one of the great um, church um, uh, theologians, his name was uh, Basil. They called him later on Basil the Great. His mother had a, had, had a slave um, girl, um, but under the influence of her daughter, um, Thecla, um, it, it, is, it is said that uh, at the end, the, the mother and the slave girl slept in the same bed because it said that the mother treated her like her own daughter. You know, something that was revolutionary at the time. Slaves were property, not family. But Christ, you know, worked in that family such a way where, like, you can't help but look at the other person as image bearers and as brothers and sisters in Christ. The second thing was um, the fact that we talked about this before. Children, unwanted children, were often abandoned in the ancient world. Um, if it was a woman, usually, you know, if it was a girl, you usually abandoned the, the baby at birth. Um, if it was disfigured or sickly, you usually abandon it as well. It's not worth keeping it. And Christians were actually one of the first ones, uh, first communities to actually start taking them in. And it's very interesting because um, a church um, apologist named Justin Martyr of the second century, he used this as, as a defense um, before the in a letter to the Roman emperor saying, you know, we Christians um, are not, you know, malignant. We're not we're not um, we're not criminals. On the contrary, we save children, you know, from starvation, from prostitution. Look, we even adopt your own. That, um, that are abandoned. Mm. Thirdly, slaves and women among the congregation. I mean, this was something completely um, um, uh, kind of strange in the ancient world. A lot of philosophical groups used to do this too, you know, include slave and women among their ranks and among their, their congregations. But the v distinct difference, right, in, 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 um, in, 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 the, in the Christian community was that the uniting factor wasn't a common intellect or common philosophical points, but it was actually a person. It was Christ. You know, we're all sinners. Um, Christ has imparted his spirit equally among each and one, every one of us. And what and what's the consequence? You have slaves and women, masters, everyone, Jew and Gentile, all in one congregation. Hmm. Fourthly, no sexual immorality. 
I mean, pedophilia was a common practice in the ancient world, especially elitist with young boys. And Christians were one of the first ones to act, you know, and rebuke such practices. Temple prostitution was a very common practice. I think maybe that's something that Paul was probably interacting with in First Corinthians. And what is his sharp rebuke? I mean, now that we are in Christ and we are one with Christ, you cannot defile your body because you are Christ's, you know? And in a society, that's very strange. Uh, fifthly, no idol worship. It's very interesting that common everyday jobs usually have some sort of um, idol. If you were a carpenter, there was some sort of God that was associated with carpentry. If you were a sailor, the God of the sea. But the Christians were the first ones, you know, to not have idols. And no one was oblivious to that. It was very obvious that these Christians are actually very strange people. Um, and and kind of, I already mentioned the sixth one that Jew and Gentiles were together. But right. seventh, um, Christians were really good citizens. They actually lived, you know, like very quiet lives, very good lives, such that Pliny, a Roman governor at the time, um, wrote to the emperor, you know, the only re real accusation was that they would not say that Caesar is Lord, that Christ is their Lord and that they worship Christ. Other than that, they're really upstanding citizens. In a book that I would greatly recommend kind of everyone to our audience is a book called Destroyer of the Gods by Larry Hurtado, where he kind of writes how the early Christian community impacted uh, Roman society. But these are just a few kind of points where the church in an organic way was a witness to the world. And uh, they did this together. Oh, yeah. This is not like in individuals. This is this is a community of believers in each city, you know, um, that lived in such a way that it was obvious. The Christians, you know, they lived in such a way that they were all clumped under one title, the Christians. And they were often talked about how much they loved each other and accepted each other in hospitality, et cetera. That was the witness that the world was noticing, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and it was really funny. There was a, there's a, um, a, 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 a um, sorry, a Roman author. His name is Lucian. He used to make fun of the Christians because they would give all their money away to help the poor. He would make so much fun of them because they would travel great lengths to visit each other in prison. And that was such a funny and ridiculous point for him. But, what a witness that was to the world. Imagine getting ridiculed for that. Yeah. Now, notice verse 16 does not exclude our individual selves as we shine, because let your light shine before others in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This yeah. would apply to the church together, but also each of us out in the world. But notice again, our first responsibility is just to let Christ shine within us so people can see our new lives. Now, that they may see your good works. What good works? I mean, he just started the Sermon on the Mount. Well, yeah. you go back to what he's already said. Be merciful, be peacemakers, be pure. And of course, the rest of the sermon has many more um, ethics that will come. And so he's saying the world needs to see this. Let your light shine. He doesn't mean go out and be obnoxious and give your opinion on everything and force people to talk yeah. religion as many yeah. uh, Americans tend to think. That's not the point. He, he's simply saying, now let your light shine so the world can see what God has done in you. Matthew 6 will go on to say in the Sermon on the Mount, don't show off your religion, but let them see the graciousness, the meekness, the purity of Christ in your life. And of course, when Paul's dealing with our relationship with unbelievers, may your speech be seasoned, and here's our term again, with salt, giving grace to those who hear. Hmm. 
may non-believers see, or even in your writing, see the graciousness of Christ as you deal with them, as you talk with them. That, that's the salt, that's the light that they'll see. And I'm sure you've had experience with those who take let your light shine to mean being obnoxious and talking all the time when people don't mm-hmm. even ask. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah, that was me. I was, I was big on that pastor. Oh, that was, yeah. You've been that. I, I've lived that, yeah. And, and yeah, no, that's that. There was not, not, not a good phase. And I still sometimes find myself being that guy sometimes, but uh, working on it, you know, the, the sanctification kicks in there. But like, no, on a, on a more serious note, uh, yeah, like, I mean, I, I identify with, you know, being that obnoxious guy, taking these passages to mean something that they're not, um, you know. Especially when, you know, you're in that cage stage, you have this newfound knowledge and you arrogantly think that you have the Bible and God figured out and you kind of in, in your pride kind of look down on everyone else. I mean, I was that guy in Bible study that will, you know, like at the end, it, it, it'll center about whatever I have to say, take off all the time, take up all the comments, all the, all the words, you know, um, I used to be part of uh, Baptist student ministries uh, at my university. And I feel very sorry for, for <laughs> the leader in the, <laughs> in the small group leaders that, you know, some people just want to learn, you know, just want to, they're on a different, you know, level in their own Christian journey and, and knowledge. And I was that guy, Pastor, bringing up free will, you know, and, and d- arguing with their exegesis on whatever X, Y, Z. And, you know, and, and, and then in football, you know, uh, there were a lot of non-Christians there, obviously. And, and I had an issue with that. <laughs> that they weren't Christian, and, and, and I had, a, and I wanted to let them know that that's an issue. And when they never asked, and they never even, you know, uh, wanted to talk sometimes, but I kind of forced a conversation, thinking that I was being a salt and a light. And you know, it was through, you know, a lot of people like my brother who who weren't afraid to confront me on on certain things, and kind of my own personal experience. When you realize that the gospel is not just for others, but also confronts you, you right? You're you're an ugly person. You're a sinner too. You're very much in need of Christ as, as they are. That you start realizing that you know. In my mind, you know, a strong voice means that you, the content that you have will be heard. But that's never, you know, that's not the gospel. That's not how Christ did it. And it's interesting because now kind of taking a step back and, and reflecting, you know, I think we live in a society with so many strong voices and not much kindness and grace that I'm not, I'm not, ta- I'm not saying change the content. I mean, the gospel, my, 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 I guess my theology hasn't changed. You know, it's still right. through Christ alone and through grace alone and, and whatnot. But it's a different approach. And I think that in, in, in a society that we live in now where they're, like I said, people are inundated, you know, it's wave after wave of strong voices of trying to be heard on politics, on, on social issues, on theology, on this, that people are, are being attracted to, to kindness, to grace, something that, that's very rarely found in conversations online or, or, or in person. And I've realized that God has actually opened even more doors. And I'm not saying that like the, that the grace or the kindness that I have is, is artificial. On the contrary, God has been working in my life. You know, I've been asking, you know, God, make me humble, you know, help me approach people differently. And I've seen in my life, at least personally, that people are actually more open and more willing to talk when you don't push it in their face and actually just live quietly and live the Christian life. Then they'll notice and they'll want to ask. Amen. Well, a good response to all this is to say, who is sufficient for these things? When you think about that, the Father says to the Son in Isaiah, you will be a light to the world. And then Jesus says to us, you are a light to the world. Well, we're not Jesus. 
And so, you know, we're sinners still. But some points here, the light does not shine because you never sin. The light shines first and foremost because you believe in the one who has the answer to sin. So the light doesn't really point to you. It points away from you to Christ. So even in your weakness, you're pointing to Christ as your Savior. You're still a light. Even if you, you know, mess up and you have to apologize or they see you in your worst moments, you trusting in Christ as your Savior doesn't mean there's no light anymore. It's, you're still pointing. Um, and so, and part of being a light is admitting your sin. You know, no. I, did, I did lose my temper. I'm sorry. No. You are a light to the world when you admit your sin and they see your grace. But the point is, as you just said, if you are a new creation, then the growth will be there. He is growing the light in you through the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So you will be a light. You're not a perfect light. Only Christ is. But you shouldn't read this and say, well, I can never be a light. I'm, I'm no. me. No, Jesus said to these weak followers, you are the light of the world. Yeah. With all their problems and sometimes bad theology and hang-ups, they are a light because they trust in Christ. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it kind of touches a little bit on kind of what we talked about before. Uh, before the podcast, you know, that Christ is introducing a kingdom that impacts and transforms everyone who partakes of this kingdom, every every one of its members. It transforms them, body and soul, impacts them, right? And when we hyper-focus on one point, like, like you know, kind of the examples that I provided above, like, like this is about evangelism. This is about, um, I don't know, your testimony. But when we start reframing that, we change, we change our understanding of this passage to mean something greater and better particularly that this is about the kingdom of God, that if you embrace Christ, you are now salt and light. And, and the reason I mentioned that, you may be struggling with anger, but but when we look at it at a bigger picture, God maybe is helping you with lust, you know, with other areas of your life, that that's also part of being salt and light. You know, you're, maybe you struggle with evangelism, right? Maybe that's not your forte, but God is helping, you know, you being more involved in your church when you weren't, when you were never involved or you never went to church before, but now he is, now you are. When we look at it in the bigger picture, we see that you are salt and light because Christ is working in you. And like the example you mentioned above, um, maybe you get angry, but now you ask for, before you never asked for forgiveness whenever you got angry. Now you do, right? That's salt and light. And I think that a, a bigger and broader understanding of the kingdom in this passage, you know, within that kingdom, you, you are kind of, in many ways, it, it's comforting to know that God, like you said, is talk, Jesus is talking to weak and faulty and limited disciples and he knew them he knew their thoughts knew their own faults but still called them light and salt and that's that's very comforting yeah those are wise words thank you so to summarize then you are salt and you are light if you are a christian first as a church as as a worldwide church and as a local church as you interact in the new life in christ together you're a light to the world but also as individuals as you're out working, playing, whatever you do in your neighborhood, as you shine with the character of Christ. And so to be a Christian means you care to be a witness yeah. because there's really no way you can receive life from death and not want others to receive the same gift. That would be just natural. Mm. 
So the greatest concern, we always have basic concern for things of this life, but the greatest concern is not politics or social policy, but that people uh, are saved from the judgment to come that this world is under and, and is heading toward. And that's only through the gospel that brings a new creation. So that's the light we have. The light is the gospel message of eternal life. That's the salt. That's why the Lord is not judging the world yet, because we are still salt and light with the gospel message. So any closing thought, or have we summarized it well? No, yeah, it, it, it's funny, because the, the one thing that is brought to my mind is, um, so my dad's a plumber, and I always grew up in the plumbing world. And and it's funny, because like I've always wondered, what, what does it mean to be salt and light as a plumber? And Pastor, I can tell you uh, a dozen different ways, and I think we had this conversation before, how I can get more money out of any client. You know, if you do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight things, and you could get, you could scam someone out of their money. And my dad always taught us, no, you know, to be a Christian means we don't cheat people out of their money. To be Christian means that you do your work well. And in my, and, it's, and it complements well because, you know, my dad's not in ministry, but in many ways, this is where God has placed him. What does it mean to be salt and light? It's to be an honest and good plumber. And I think that God has placed each and every one of us in distinct places. And, you know, through his spirit and guidance, I mean, we are salt and light in, in, in whatever capacity God has placed us. No, no, not just in ministry, not just in, in, in hyper-spiritual things. Sometimes we, we think that's it. No, I think it's, it's in the quote-unquote mundane things that we are also salt and light to the world. Yep. Amen. Well, next week we're going to look at this uh Talk about a controversial statement. Jesus saying that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Hmm. We're going to look at what this means. We'll look at how a guy like Greg Bonson promoting theonomy interpreted that, how dispensationalists interpret that, and what do we do with that? Well, what, what is Christ's connection to the old covenant no. and the law? So we'll, we'll save that for next week. And uh, yeah, that was fun today. Yeah. And you guys are all feeling, you're all 100%, right? Oh, 100%. Megan's back to work. I'm back to school. And uh, I'm kind of missing the, the, the honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. And hold, Lord willing, we'll do this next week. Oh, you rich and high above All of those And wind I love All you birds Broken down All of your troubles Come lay them down Come lay them down Come lay them down Come lay them down